Welcome to the season four premiere of Frequent Flyer here on Brotherly Pod. It is Friday, August 6th, 2021. Here! And uh, here to talk the off-season wrap-up. Seems like everything has calmed down with the exception of uh, a couple contracts that we handed out to Santa and Hart. Everything else seems to be... Uh, Slowing down a little bit, so we'll get everybody back on here. I believe the last time Mike and Manny were on was night one of the draft. So they uh, have not had their say on a, quite a few moves that happened since. So, uh, Manny, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm exhausted from I, – I can only imagine how Chuck Fletcher feels. I got a message for Dave Scott of the of Comcast Spectacore. You know what? Pull out the old Discover card, Dave Scott. And give that man a freaking vacation that he deserves. Send him to Maui for crying out loud. Do it, Dave Scott. Do it. And as always, Mike Asito is here. Mike, how are you doing? A good evening, gentlemen. It is fantastic to be with you to discuss this uh, this very eventful Flyers offseason with a couple more moves that we didn't get to last time. And uh, I'm looking forward to delivering the Jake Voracek eulogy this evening for everybody. I mentioned Voracek, and that move happened... After the last time we met, um, which I thought was funny because that night we talked night one of the draft and that night we're like, you know, something else is going to happen. The money's not working here. You know, Voracek's got to go. He's got to go. He's got to go. And at that time, we knew nothing of the Atkinson deal. And then the next morning was like, hey, there's word that Atkinson is going to, you know, the Flyers and Voracek's going out to Columbus. And then it happened. So... Mike, you know, we were talking before we went on air here about Voracek. Um, I assume you're glad to see him gone. Man, I, uh, I, I can't celebrate enough. You know, in fact, right now I have basically an entire half of a uh, bourbon glass filled with um, some Woodford Reserve in my Flyer season ticket holder glass because I wanted to celebrate the fact that Jake Voracek is no longer a Philadelphia Flyer. So I'm going to take a big sip here and I'm going to deliver his eulogy for you guys. At Jachobi, we hardly knew ye. After 10 years of skating around in circles and throwing the puck behind the blue line, we bid ye farewell. You were a underwhelming player, a player that told the fans to shut the fuck up, a player that would hold grudges against beat reporters for a year at a time. A player that had virtually zero memorable moments on the ice with the team. Player that won jack shit. A player that would have conniptions on the bench yelling at the officials for calls they didn't make. And a player that I personally disliked as much as Donovan McNabb. And I could not be happier to banish Jachobi. 
city of Columbus, which is a very fair and excellent city, but you will win nothing there. And finally, the Philadelphia Flyers can move on. So thank you, Jake Voracek, for a wasted decade. Goodbye. Bravo. 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 He said he hasn't won anything, so I decided to pull up his thing here. And he hasn't even won a Flyers team award recently. He he has a Gene Hart Memorial Award in 2015. That's the most recent one. That's it. He stopped five in scoring, though, Danny. Don't you know? He's a Yannick Dupree Memorial class guy in 14, the Pelly Pelly Lindbergh Memorial in 2013. The Bobby Clark Trophy in 2013-2015. He hasn't won a Flyers Award in six fucking years. That's a really interesting statistic, Dan. And that is a, a stat. I mean, how? <laughs> you're the you're the face of the franchise. You're one of the faces. Theoretically <laughs> number are... two in popularity behind Giroux. Yeah. And you don't even have a fucking team award. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know... I was I was saying before the show too. Um, I head out to Columbus for work actually a couple times, actually many times a year, and I'm planning on catching uh, some Jackets games this coming season. And I'm going to give Jake Voracek a taste of Philly so he doesn't forget us. I'm going <laughs> to boo the shit out of that resident jackass, and I'm going to say I'm going to mention that he blocked me on Twitter six years ago. So I I look forward to that, and I'll be reporting that on this show as the season progresses. <laughs> You think they're going to have a nice little video package for him when Columbus heads back to Philly for the first time? Thank you, Jake Voracek. Yeah, I think they will. Just sad that way. Assists. They should get Mike Sealski to do the uh, in between <laughs> voiceover. <periods. laughs> yeah. At the end of the second period, Mike Sealski, you got a special guest. Yeah. So, Jake. How you liking it here in Columbus? <laughs> With the fear and derision in his eyes. Oh, Those man. Weasley, that Weasley nose and glasses. <laughs> anyway. Uh, what, if isn't gave, it... what if they had Sealski come out of the ice to give him some sort of team award that he never won? And, and Mike's the guy that's going to give it to him. <laughs> the Weasel Award or something. Mike Sealski should make one up. When, when you're there, you should bring a sign. Like a like a wrestling fan would bring a sign to a wrestling show, and it would be like Jake Jacoby blocked me on Twitter or something. <laughs> Your next Columbus. <laughs> yeah, oh, isn't it uh, so ironic? The poetic justice. Like he came here, he he had that career year, signed that big contract. And everything was on the upswing, and this team was supposed to be going places and doing stuff. And it never materialized. And now, coincidentally, he's going into a team that is completely rebuilding. That's that's for sure. They got rid of Jones. Okay, they re-upped Wierenski. They did a great job at the draft this year. But he's now the elder statesman on that team. That Nick Foligno doesn't look like he's going to be back there. I think he signed uh, in Minnesota. And, uh, well, Cam Atkinson, Mr. Columbus, joins us here in Philadelphia. And what a breath of fresh air. Having the gritty shirt on, you know, when he first gets interviewed, like this guy, I've seen videos and pictures of him. Like he goes to um, like the season ticket holder meetings and he goes see when people are lined up for playoff tickets, he'll show up there and he'll like, you know, buy the first 10, 20 tickets for people. Like what a great guy. He's interacting with people on Twitter. 
Right. Like this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my God. I mean, I think Mike Sielski's going to have him over for a sleepover for crying out loud like two, <laughs> in the next week or so. But uh, like, it's just a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Like it's something new. It's something like we needed this. And as much as people love these old players that didn't do anything for our team, Goss Despair, Voracek, the, the list goes on and on. At the same time, my interest level in this team is renewed again. Like, I need the season to start, like, next week. Like, I'm just chomping at the bit to get this thing going because it's new players. And regardless of what analytics say or the eye test or whatever you people want to say, at least we got new combinations of players. We've got new players that we can watch and examine and see how they play and fit together with one another. It's not the same old stale crap we've got some new toys in the toy box and it's just like it's christmas morning let's start unwrapping these presents i love it that's the ultimate key i i think through the off season and i believe we're gonna answer the uh text questions in a little while but i believe there i saw there was one about that like you know just the overall environment that's changed and that's the biggest thing is so much has changed. Like this is the one thing that we talked about, you know, for months going into this was Ken Fletcher pull off a summer of this magnitude, and obviously everybody's picking apart the individual moves. Oh, you know, Ristolainen and blah, blah, blah. but so much change happened. You know, they flipped so much of this roster. There is a new life here. There's a new hope. There's a new, you know, whatever you want to call it for the first time in I don't even know how many years now I'm like hey I can't wait for the flyer season to start usually I'm fucking dreading early October you know but now it's like let's let's see here let's see what this team looks like I want to see a brand new hockey team for the first time in fucking 10 years yeah that was one of my main themes or one of my main takeaways as well Dan was that this room should change here. And if you isolate the players that Chuck Fletcher uh, essentially traded away, Voracek, Patrick, and Ghost specifically, those were all indicative of guys that had some sort of, whether it was a stereotype or some sort of negative connotation with the way they interacted with their teammates. And they were guys that were A, way too comfortable, and B, didn't seem like they were playing for each other. And those were two elements that Fletcher really sought out to change here. Um, you know, guys like Ellis, Ristolein, and Atkinson, Yandel, even guys like Jones and Thompson, they will change those two elements. Those guys are guys that care. And I think Elliot Friedman described that as well when he was talking about the Flyers offseason on 31 Thoughts recently was that Fletcher brought in guys that really, really care about the room, about their performance on the ice, about identified for the past year or two, even more than that, as a problem with this team. So I agree with you guys. I think that these players, while they may not have the best analytics at times, or some of them do have excellent analytics, I think it's a great group. I'm really excited about this group as well. Yeah, and to, to piggyback on what you said there, Mike, like I know that everybody's been picking apart each individual move and all that. And Dan, I know that you gave your letter grades for, for each of those moves. I saw that. Um, the thing is, is it's a new group, but... The argument back and forth is, well, is this team really better than last year? 
And I, I don't understand how you can say that they're not going to be better than, than last year. Last year was disaster. How could they possibly be worse than last year? No. And the one yeah. thing that I will I, – listen, you can sit there and we can argue about if they make the playoffs or just miss out. We can talk about, I know there's people talking about, oh, will they make it past the second round of the playoffs? I Listen, we don't know that. We don't know any of that. We got to see how this these pieces fit together. But what's going to be really interesting for me is this whole thing about these new players coming in here and what that means for, for next season. Whether you look at it as a results-based thing, I think that the team has done enough to make the playoffs. I don't know how far they'll get uh, after that, but I want to see this team in action first. The one thing that I can guarantee you is that you're not going to see this team shit the bed nine, nothing against the New York Rangers and have nothing and have no response Uh and come out the next game. And and it's like the same old thing and then have it happen again with the New York Rangers the next time (laughs) that I can tell you is not going to happen. That's not going to happen. That's, that's the thing for me more than like, you know, we can talk about whether they're gonna make the playoffs or this is a cup team like i don't give a shit what's gonna happen this time next year don't care let's try let's get our feet wet here let's see if this team can pull their head out of their ass long enough to stop fucking getting blown out every night i don't want to see another month like march ever again you know <laughs> let's play some competitive hockey let's open the season hot which has been obviously an issue for christ knows how long at this point you know getting out of the gate hot and and, and you know is gonna be a competitive division one way or the other you know and you're gonna need to get out hot you can't get off this slow start and building a better room should theoretically lift that and you know we can pick apart each individual move but it's that that rising tide lifts all ships if you build a better room and everybody's happy and they're all supporting each other theoretically you're not gonna have you know the, the, the shitty broken down sad mentality that we had you know in March and April you know Listen, we're not. I always try and preface a segment by saying that we're not in the room and we're not, but it's kind of an open secret that Nolan Patrick, Jig Varchick, and Shane Gossesbear were shitty human beings, right? They're not the best teammates. Like, that's just fucking, that's a known, you know. So I don't think it's a surprise that they were the ones that got canned. And it's also not a surprise that all four people they brought in had letters on their sweaters on their previous team. You know, that are renownedly good guys. You know, they're beloved by the fans and the people. You know, the analytics may not speak to their favor, but they're good people. Like, Chuck Fletcher was clearly going for something here. More than just players, more than just heat maps, he wanted to build a culture. And that was the biggest thing. And to give Fletcher credit, he threw, you know, little breadcrumbs at us for months about that. The mix is off in the room, and the chemistry's not there, and the redundancy in lineup. Like, he hinted at all this stuff, you know, going back to the trade deadline. And again, kudos to Fletcher for being able to pull off what he did. And he clearly had a, a, a plan in mind, and that's to rebuild this team and give them some kind of lifeblood again. So you don't have a repeat of what happened. And if you get blown out, you know, nothing one night, you'll have the heart and the courage and the talent to get back out there the next night and put up a fight. You know, like, I think that's what goes a long way here and how that translates on ice and what is wrist line end up looking like, like that'll all come in time. But right now, like, that's not what I'm worried about. You know, like this was a win on Fletcher for what he set out to do. He may not have gotten Seth Jones or Dougie Hamilton or you know anybody impressive at forward, but you know what? 
He made the team better, and that is all that fucking matters. He tried. (laughs) This is all I asked of him. For months I sat here and said, Fletcher's not going to do shit. He did something. You know, like, I I just, I cannot be angry at him right now because he did everything that I wanted him to do. One aspect that I think is really critical to the group that's coming in is the fact that Chuck Fletcher brought in fairly vocal leaders from my understanding about these guys. And obviously one thing that I think troubled the Flyers locker room for many years was this non-vocal lead by example bullshit, which me personally, I don't think that carries much weight when it comes to leading a team in a very physical sport. Um, And you have a guy like Atkinson, Yandel, Thompson, even Ristolainen, and coupling them with Kevin Hayes, that's a pretty vocal group of guys that's in there right now. And they're going to call each other out, and they're going to do it in a in a positive way, in a way that's meaningful, in a way that's critical, but a way that's going to get some results. I just think that that's such a good group of players together here that can pick each other up, identify mistakes when they happen, and correct them fairly quickly rather than what they've been doing for years in this non-vocal passive capacity of, well, we don't want to get under his skin. Let's just let it go. And things fester. And all of a sudden you see all these bad habits, which is another element that Chuck Fletcher talked about for probably about a year now, are bad habits on and off the ice. And I think that these guys are going to identify those habits and are going to be able to eradicate them pretty quickly. That's another reason why I'm positive and another reason why, you know, that's not an analytic. That's not a statistic. That's not something that can really be measured. But that's a personality trait that this team now apparently has. And that's something that I really give Fletcher a lot of credit for. Yeah, and I mean, to just piggyback on all, uh, going back to the Cam Atkinson stuff, mm-hmm, I sure. mean, the thing that I basically have ingrained in my head is he is the exact opposite of Jake Voracek. Like, yes, I saw yes. I saw all the positive people on Twitter and, you know, Alex Appleyard, he's, you know, Mr. Analytics, we know, but he was super sour on this trade. And he was like, well, I mean, there has to be something else in this deal because Vortrek is superiorly the better player. And I, and I, and I messaged back and I said like, you know, you could say he's the better player, but the thing with Atkinson is he's the engine that doesn't stop. He's the guy that's going to be out there skating and skating and forechecking to death in until his shift is over. And I keep going back to that game where um, Pierre-Luc Dubois just, stopped skating and just yeah. you know he quit <laughs> I, on the Columbus I remember that one. <laughs> yeah. and the guy that was skating around the ice like crazy like a bee that just got its nest you know kicked in was cam atkinson <laughs> and it's like that guy saw that his you know teammate was doing nothing but it didn't matter to him because he had a job to do and he was going to go out and do it regardless and that's that kind of work ethic to me is something that's infectious you mm-hmm. want other players i want to see what that does to guys like scott lawton who already listen he works hard i'm not saying he doesn't but maybe that gives him a little bit more of an edge on you know how to know when to go in for that you know four check and when to kind of lay off and positioning and other other stuff and then other people started tweeting at me going dude you're crazy Cam Atkinson is better than Jake Voracek. Look at his goal totals. Look at this. Look at that. And it was Columbus fans. It was fans going, we've seen Jake Voracek and Cam Atkinson. We're telling you right now, Cam Atkinson is the better guy. 
you there guys were a told lot of Columbus people that were very disappointed that they got rid of Cam Atkinson. Yeah, he was a he was a beloved player out there. I think he started like a like a hockey center in Columbus. Um, like you said, he was Mr. Columbus. I mean, he really took the franchise to the next level in terms of integrating it with the community. And, um, you know, I don't know if we'll do that here or not, but I think he's probably going to keep those roots in Columbus for the time being. But yeah, I mean, he was super interactive with people. I like just unbelievable amount of positivity. And that is so refreshing. I mean, that is just so awesome to see guys like that on this team. And you're right. It's infectious. Once you have one guy doing that, it spreads to another guy. And all of a sudden you have great momentum in the room. And that's exactly what this team has lacked for like a decade. Yeah. So it's, it's just awesome to see that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's everything that is needed. And, you know, you may give up a few points here and there, you know, comparing the two, but like Voracek is just always one of those guys. And, and Mike and I were talking about this before on air. Like, can you remember any one specific play Jake Voracek had from an offensive perspective? Like that one goal Zero. or that one beautiful pass or that one thing. And I'm sitting here. I'm like, I can't think of anything. I can't think of a single play that Jake Voracek made in 10 years that stands out as that one thing that defined his fucking career. All I remember are the fucking no-look passes to nobody, the time he uh, back-checked Johnny Boychuk and got suspended, and blocking me on Twitter like a decade ago. That's it. That's the only thing I can even yeah. remotely think of when I think about Jake Voracek. Wasn't there that one time that Joel Farabee was supposed to score a goal and then it was trickling towards the goal line and then Jake just shoved it in? <laughs> there was that one. <laughs> I great remember that one. That, that sounds familiar. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, great memory on that. Yeah. Yeah. God. Man, good riddance to that guy. Jesus Christ. Ugh. Awful. Awful. So we'll see if the um, – yeah, I'm interested to talk to some Columbus fans when I'm out there to see if they've blocked – if he's blocked them yet. Because uh, that is his M.O. You know, he sits there furiously blocking after games and on weekends and it, like during his I'm free sure he started I mean, already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are some great bars uh, right by the Nationwide Arena there. Okay. Some great, great, great little spots. I'll have to check it out. And I'm going to spread as much negativity about Voracek <laughs> as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> How is it like his whole Twitter thing? I think, and like we've been joking about it for a while, and some other people. But how ludicrous is it? If you take a step back, how ridiculous is it that he has literally taken the amount of time, just physical time, to sit and click and block the sheer quantity Hundreds of people, hundreds of thousands that, of people. Like <laughs> that is like a that is that is like a personality disorder, like a mental thing, which is fine if you have that, but. I have never seen an athlete go to that. What do you even have a Twitter at that media? point? Like, if you have it specifically yeah. just to block people, just don't fucking use Twitter. Like... <laughs> yeah, just get off it. Like, what are you, what are you sharing that's so necessary anyway? You're, are you connecting with family or something over Twitter? Come on. Like... <laughs> yeah, it's just ridiculous. So, anyway. oh man, I think he should just pay Mike. He should pay Mike Sealski to run his uh, Twitter account. <laughs> He's making eight and a quarter million. Hey, Weasel, here, just go and respond to these peons that are uh, that are messaging me bad things. Man, <laughs> as I yeah. punch the mic. And uh, the other two moves uh, officially signed Keith Yandel. I'm pretty sure those were rumors last time we talked. And then uh, Martin Jones was the other one. And uh, you know, Yandel's fine. Um, 
I, I assume he'll fill the third line LD spot for the time being. Um, probably get his streak. I believe he's got 43 games left. We talked about that on, on one of the past shows. Um, I assume he'll get that here. I don't think they're going to ruin his streak. Certainly if he, you know, starts the season opening on the opening night lineup, uh, every game closer he gets, they may as well just go for it. Um, you know, probably won't be too big of a thing. Have not heard great things from Panthers fans about where he's at defensively at this point in his career. But, uh, you know, theoretically, he's going to play very limited minutes, probably heavily on the power play, you know, uh, heavily favored minutes uh, in the offensive zone whenever they can. And he's got just Braun riding shotgun next to him who will uh, handle a lot of the defensive uh, the defensive uh, issues there as he did last year. You know, one of the probably the unsung hero of the Flyers blue line last year was Justin Braun uh, defensively in terms of being able to buoy Provorov in, in Sanheim throughout the season. And the other one, uh, Martin Jones, you know, it was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> probably the most disappointing option they could have found in terms of, you know, name availability and whatnot. But looking at some of the other things, you know, Olmark signed for, what, $5 million in Boston, and Bernier went for 4.1 in New Jersey, and the Avalanche gave him a King's Ransom for Darcy Kemper. So a lot of the bigger names, a lot of the more worthwhile names out there as far as finding a 1B go kind of went for it. Holpe wanted to stay out west, so he signed in Dallas. And, you know... It's not great. Um, the The idea here being that you have Carter Hart, obviously, as your starter, and that he bounces back to, you know, some kind of form of dominance at what we've seen uh, his first two seasons. So, theoretically, it shouldn't matter much about the state of Martin Jones, but this is a guy who, even if you just look at the numbers, was better than Brian Elliott. He does not have the injury history. He's a guy you can start multiple games if need be, so... It certainly wasn't a sexy addition, not by any means, but it, at, at the end of the day, it would have been nice to add somebody a little more legitimate, but hopefully you don't need to add anybody a little more legitimate if you catch my drift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess kind of hitting on, on Yandel, as you mentioned, Dan, and you know we talked about this leadership capacity, and I think that, yes, I agree that Yandel will probably play left-hand, left side on the third pair and probably be the quarterback of power play one because he's still very effective there, which is great because I don't think Provorov is meant for that position at all. Um, But one thing that I heard on some other interviews with Yandel is how, and this goes back to his leadership qualities, is the guy is really obsessed with like having dinners and going to restaurants with his teammates and establishing rapport. And as I kind of reflect on what this team has done in the past, you know, I never heard about them doing that sort of stuff. They weren't a very tight group outside the locker room at all. They didn't, they didn't do anything. There was like one occasion, maybe a couple of years ago, with like Hackstall or something, where like the team went out and like had a beer together. Then they changed their losing streak or some bullshit like that. <laughs> but like, it's just, I think that even if Yandel isn't as good as he has been defensively over the years, you know, with Arizona and the Rangers and whatnot. Just him coming in and establishing, hey, guys, this is how we get to know each other. This is how we get to trust each other. That has been so lacking for the Flyers for so long now. Just that in and of Sixteen years, a thousand some games. Like, you don't get that far by, you know, being an asshole. You know, apparently he's a great guy. 
barstool references aside they can fuck off but you know other than that you know he seems like again a leader you know he's a guy who's you know maybe over the hill as far as his on ice production but he's obviously been around the block he knows a thing or two this is probably the most successful team he's been on theoretically i believe the rangers teams were on the downturn at that point but uh yeah he's best friends with kevin hayes uh, which, who the fuck cares? But you know, maybe that'll play some <laughs> kind of role into him. Uh, it just seems like a, a a good guy, a good energy guy at this point in his career. And uh, again, it goes towards building a better culture, right? And, and somebody like Yandel should theoretically take that ball and run with it. Yeah, the stories that I heard about Yandel is yeah, he's got a super sense of humor, and you're right, he does like going out on the town with, you know, dinners and things. I heard that he really likes plays and Broadway shows and things like that. So like he took, he took other players to like Hamilton and like all kinds of, uh, you know, shows like that, but uh, educate these idiots. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, The thing, Hey, Nolan, what do you think about uh, Hamilton? Mm -hmm. Never been there. It seems like a good good city. Um, Steel town in Southern Ontario. Um, but yeah, Yandel, the other thing with him is, uh, listen, he's going to be on the third pair. Yeah. He's not going to be counted on for, you know, massive minutes and hard situations. And you know what? He's the puck moving guy. Braun is going to be the, in the corner, get the puck guy. I'm cool with it. I mean, as much as his play is, you know, he's not the guy that he was five, six years ago. I still think that that's worthwhile. And if that means you keep a guy like Cam York simmering in the AHL, getting top pair minutes with the Phantoms, cool. That's what I want to see. Give Cam York that mantle and let's just see what he can do with it. Let's just see what he does. And then if you need him and an injury happens, you know, you still got Sam Warren uh, to play on the bottom pair. And if somebody more significant gets hurt, well, then you can bring up Cam York if you really need to. Like there's that option there. Um, The other cool thing was about the team building and bonding thing. The last time I remember the Flyers doing some kind of big team building thing was Ken Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember like in the preseason, he took everybody to West Point Academy and they did like a military kind Mm -hmm. of training bonding thing. And that was, I thought, a pretty cool, interesting exercise to do. It worked. So I just, definitely right. Right. And he's a good coach. He knows what he's doing. Like he, he loved, I know, civil war history and all kinds of stuff. And, and I've seen other coaches do that really successfully. Like Mark Crawford, when they won the cup in, in Colorado, he made like a theme of, uh, it was like a mission impossible theme. And like every round, uh, the guys would get like a dossier with like, you know, it would be like mission 16 W like 16 wins to the cup. And then you get like, here are the guys that you are going to need to shut down from this other team. Here's the goalie. And you know, here's their weak spots. And here's where I want you guys to shoot on this guy, like pretty cool stuff like that. And, and I, yeah, since Hextall and the latter part of, uh, of Holmgren, I, you haven't really heard of the flyers doing stuff like that. So it's really important to see that they are focusing on not just the play on the ice, but the actual culture. And it, it, it's indicative that there was something missing there. I know I've heard good stories as well about Voracek as well as bad, but um, it is what it is. Like the, the Flyers obviously needed to get a little bit tighter and the focus is definitely on special teams and experience. That's on the power play, the penalty kill, you know, all, all across the board. And while I don't think that Martin Jones was a sexy pick, I would have rather somebody else. 
At the same time, this was a guy on a bad San Jose Sharks team with nobody on it. Um, and really, who's to say that he won't do better in a backup role? Where, you know, every three games, you know, True. he'll get in there. Every four games, depending on how Hart's playing. No pressure on him. You know, he's just there to stop, the, you know, pucks and keep them in games. That's different from being the guy on a really bad team and getting just, you know, marched out there into the firing squad in that, you know, Pacific division. It's tough. This is a different role for him. And it's going to be a different role for a guy like Rasmus Ristolainen as well. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, this Flyers defense, at least to me, is excellent. I am really excited to see how these guys play together. I mean, this is, I think, their best defense they've had in almost a decade, maybe oh, longer. Far. Maybe in 20 years, I don't know. I mean, they have some legitimately really well-planned-out and good pairs here. Um, and I don't think that the goalies are going to be basically bombed like they have been over the past couple of seasons here. I mean, you look at a pair like Ellis and Provorov and as a top defensive pair, I think that's one of the best in the league, especially given the money that these guys are on. You look at some of these other contracts that, you know, Wierenski and Jones and Hamilton and nurse, um, I guess today, I mean, these guys are getting nine point something. And the flyers have a legitimately excellent top pair for at least the next four years, both guys are making six and change, which yeah. is fantastic. I mean, that is, that's the one thing that I think the Flyers have an advantage over many, many other teams in this league is having a legitimate first pair with a younger guy like Provorov in his prime and a guy like Ellis, who's a seasoned veteran, knows what he's doing. They're locked in for excellent cap hits. And the thing that they got to do is be able to realize that money elsewhere and devote it to some other part of the team, whether that's this year, next year, or the following. But um, I think that's one of the competitive advantages that we're going to have with our defense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the pairs. That second pair, um, you know, we, we <laughs> the Sanheim Ristolainen pair, that's the only one that even slightly worries me just because I feel like those two on an off night could be a completely fucking disaster. Um, but yeah, Provorov, Ellis, I mean, like, that's what we needed for Provorov. Like, you needed a top veteran guy that knows what the fuck he's doing. And Ellis is that yeah. guy. And the bottom pair, you know, uh, both Yandel and Braun are far past their prime, but they're both veteran. I mean, we saw what Braun did last year. It was fucking great. Now imagine him in a role that's meant for him on the third pair in, in even better minutes. Like, he should be great, you know, and hopefully cover up for any of Yandel's flaws, and hopefully Yandel still has enough in the tank offensively to, to cover his ass for any flaws he may make. Like, that's great. And, you know, theoretically on paper, if Ellis, uh, if uh, Ristolainen and Sanheim rather are both good, you have a big physical mean motherfucker stay at home defenseman in, in Ristolainen and a guy like Sanheim can finally be used in a proper, you know, offensive defenseman role to get it going. And we're gonna, I'm going to be positive about that, even like fucking hate Travis Sanheim. But uh, <laughs> that, that's like... How did you two? <laughs> so far, like, that's why I hate Travis Sanheim. These people on Twitter that blows... Like, I don't even understand the the the, the, the base. We're, like, I, I like Travis Konechny, right? I fucking... I don't like Travis Konechny. But 
there's at least something there. He at least has three consecutive 24-goal seasons. That That's not nothing. I just don't respect the role that he plays in the team, being the agitator, even though my fucking washing machine, you know, the agitator's more powerful than he is, you know. But, like, Sanheim, I don't even get the hype. Like, what has he ever done in his fucking career? Somebody on Twitter today was like, don't you remember how good he was in 1920? And I go... No, I don't. I fucking don't. I remember the three games in the round robin when he looked like a fucking elite badass for a few games, but that was it. You know, there was a couple. He's had a couple, you know, moments here and there where he looked good, but he's never been able to to be that guy. And the thing about being an offense offensive defenseman in the league is you either need to be really good offensively and defensively, or your offense needs to be so fucking good that it doesn't matter what your defense is, right? Peak Eric Carlson. People hated him defensively, but he's putting up 70-plus points a year. It doesn't fucking matter what he's doing defensively, you know, because his offense means so much to the team. Sanheim, has he even hit 30 points yet? Like, he's not producing enough offensively to make up for his faults defensively. And you're going to put him at the wrist of Linen, who, yes, you know, I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but he does have a spotty track record, you know, playing good defense. So, theoretically, that pair, if it works out well, is going to be great. If not, you're going to have two six-foot-five people that fall down all the time, you know? So, I don't know. I, 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 I hate Travis Sanheim. God damn it. <laughs> I think you need somebody, like, that second pair, uh, I think it looks – I'm very excited to see how it plays out. The only thing is that, yes – the one knock on on Risto is his hockey sense, and I have seen that being a problem in the past. That said, um, he does a number of other things that are things that this team just hasn't done for yeah. many years. And the only thing I can see is is if Sanheim can be a little bit more consistent in his in his own end, make better decisions, understand you know when to pinch, when not to pinch, win puck battles. That could be a good pair, but I just I think Sanheim is definitely going to have to up his game to properly complement Ristolainen. But at the end of the day, I mean, like I was saying on our last show, I am absolutely stoked to see Risto. I mean, I'm getting a Risto jersey for sure. He's my first one I'm doing, and um, it's just going to be a lot of fun seeing somebody like that in front of our own net. Finally, it's like, when's the last time we had a guy that didn't let the other team beat the living shit out of our goalie? I mean, every time I've seen... Somebody come down the ice, they get a Mike couple Rathke, extra whacks maybe? at our goalie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like unbelievable. Finally, we have a guy that's going to be mean. And, you know, everyone has heard the interviews uh, that I think Jason Martitas did with um, with Ristolainen about how he wants to be a piece of shit out there and he wants to be a pain in the ass. Like, that's the attitude you want to have. This guy is a freaking competitor. Like, all he wants to do is play hockey. Like, that is so refreshing to hear that's that. That's what I want I don't care if he makes mistakes. I, just, yes, I want totally my defensemen right. to be big and physical and not afraid to get their fucking hands dirty. I don't want them to be perfect passers who can clear the zone. I don't give a shit. Go out there and be well, physical San- and clear the goddamn crease. God damn. Well, you like- see a team like... Uh, San Jose, I mean, they've invested in, you know, high-end offensive defensemen, and that team is in a tailspin right now on defense. They've had a terrible defense. I mean, yeah, I mean, I love watching Brent Burns and Eric Carlson score goals, but, I mean, those guys are making an incredible amount of money, and they're not playing much defense, and Martin Jones got, you know, left out to dry for the past couple of years, and, uh, you know, it's probably some fault on him as well, but he can't have – an entire team of that you got to have balance that's the key to winning in this league is balance a guy that can do a b and c but then a 
when another guy can do D, E, and F, and the other guy can do X, Y, and Z. And all of a sudden, you got a balanced defense that can handle any situation the other team brings at you. That's why I like the Flyers' defense. Yeah, they're, it's what you need. Like, are there two players other than Sandman Myers where the analytics versus eye test tell two completely different stories? Like, Ristolainen supposedly shit analytically, but I watch him play, and he's like, that's what I want on my team. I want that big, mean guy out there that's just going to be a piece of shit to play against. And you have Sanheim, who's loved analytically, but then I watch him fall down face first in the end boards in overtime, you know, <laughs> six times a fucking season. Like, I just, I, I, I just, <laughs> I don't get it, man. I, I hope that pair works. Maybe it will. Theoretically, I think it's going to be a hot mess some nights, which is going to be a fucking disaster. But, you know, We'll see. Um, they're taking Sanham to arbitration, which happens on my birthday, by the way, August 26th. Uh, so, you know, I believe you can only sign a one or two year contract. So thankfully, I don't think they can lock him up long term this time, which is good because they probably want to get out of from him as soon as possible. Given York, that's another thing. Like every every time I talk about a bad he is on Twitter, people go, well, who's going to play 2LD? And I'm like, fucking Cam York. You know? Yeah. Like he may not be ready today. You know, he may not be ready now, but he's going to be ready soon. Here's the thing. York's a left-handed D. Zamula's a left-handed D. Hogberg's left-handed D. Millman's a left-handed D. Like, you have all these... One of the only things left you have in prospects in the fucking AHL is left-handed defensemen. You know? And at least one or two of them are going to be ready in the next little while. At least in York. Maybe Zamula. And, you know, Hogberg looked like a competent defenseman last year in the AHL. I mean, he's got something. Like... It may not, you may need Sanheim this year, but you do not need him long term. You just don't. You have Cam York and Yegor Zamula. Theoretically, next year, you're going to roll out a left side of Provorov, York, and Zamula, right? Like, that's just where you are. You don't need Sanheim long term. And, like, there's no reason to lock Sanheim up any longer than you have to. Just give him one year, $3 million, $4 million, whatever the fuck you can afford. And then next year, tell him to fucking kick rocks and move on. You know, that's what I would do. Like, there's just, there's no reason to tie this guy up long-term. This is the other reason why I want the season to start, like, next week. Because <laughs> I've been arguing with people, left, right, and All I'm asking, let's, listen, Rasmus Ristolainen might not work. I fully will acknowledge that. He might not work. But let's give him the chance can we at least let a game go by before we crucify this guy uh you know in front of uh you know pontius pilot and everybody else <laughs> like honest to god like enough and and i get listen i get it and i by the way a brilliant question on the flyer side chat where asked uh, you guys about your opinions on analytics you and shane and you both were right shane was like listen more information is better than less information, right? And I told you that that struck a chord with me. And then there was the other part, Dan, where you said, but it's the people. Yeah. It's the people that are peddling this stuff. And when you actually look at some of these jerk-offs that are actually peddling this stuff, <laughs> you actually, and I'm not talking about the, the normal guys. I'm talking about the guys that are actually initiating a lot of this stuff. Yeah. They're doing, oh, my models, and it's like, yeah, you look at their background and they're usually like failures in business or failures in something else. And they started <laughs> doing this in their basement and they're selling subscriptions to people for $9.99 a month. And they actually have, you know, a couple thousand people doing this. I'm in the wrong business, insane. man. It's insane. It's insane. But anyways, 
my point is this. I was getting into arguments with people. Well, we should just sign him for seven years. And I'm like, dude, are you insane? Oh, oh, fuck off. I'm like, after this year, maybe the year after that, dude, the most you can give this guy is three years. The absolute most is three years. Number one, I'm not totally sold on the guy, so I wouldn't want to commit any longer than that anyways. No. But number two, as Dan said, you've got Cam York is going to be ready, not this season, but I for sure next season, he's going to be in the NHL. He just is. Oh, yeah. He's going to be ready. So you, you got him breathing down your neck. You cannot commit to this guy for five, six, seven years. That's insanity. And people on Twitter are like, yeah, but you could lower his cap hit and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah. And then you're going to block you know, top four guys from actually making and, and playing, yeah. which is what you guys complained about when Nate Thompson was signed and what you guys complained about when other players were signed here. Oh, well, what about, what about uh, Isaac Ratcliffe? Oh, what about this guy? What about that guy? <laughs> Put him on D. <laughs> oh yeah. Like seriously, like guys, this is either you're with a plan or you're not. And then Ted's response. Oh, and I got into back and forth. It's very respectful. Ted and he goes well there's no such thing as having too many good players I'm like okay granted and then what kicked it off for me you have to was, assume they're a good player though well right and so okay you're gonna block Cam York and then you're gonna put Sanheim on the third pair okay fine great and you're gonna pay him five million dollars a year to do that that doesn't sound good um but then what killed me was somebody liked his tweet and I go to look and it was Travis Sanheim's mother Oh, that fucking lady. She's been doing this to me on Twitter for years now. Oh, my gosh. I didn't. Dude, I don't know of her. Four years. I I hate Travis Sanheim. Somebody goes, well, he's pretty good. And then she'll like that tweet. For fucking years she's been doing this. I ranted about it on Angry Negative Show one time. God damn it. You know what? She should have fought Nathan Gerby. Oh my! God. She would have done a better job. She is savage, that woman. My God, her her son is not like the one thing that gets me about Sanheim is he's not an assertive defenseman. No, he's a very tacit guy. He's actually has a very large physique. Should use his he's body six better. Five and totally afraid to use it. Yeah, I mean that's. That's a problem in the NHL unless you're pumping in goals like Brent Burns. Yeah, he's exactly. not doing that. And the thing about Sanheim as well is that he's he's getting to the point. I think he's what like twenty five years 25 old now. Twenty five years old in two hundred and fifty five games. So he's he's not a rookie. He's not a young guy anymore, and he's not. He doesn't have that like level of, of of mystique. Oh, let's just wait it out until he gets there. No, he's already twenty five, and he's not a good enough veteran defenseman to complement a younger guy that's coming no. up. So he's kind of caught in this purgatory sense where he can't be paired with a younger guy like York, but he also can't really be paired with an older guy because his ceiling is already kind of where he's at right now. So he. You know, he he really hasn't taken that next step. And I agree with you guys. I mean, I would not commit long term to him. And look, the Flyers have their first pair set for at least the next four years, which is the most important thing to have on defense is a rock solid first pair. Flyers got it. Check. Now, if you want to spend a little bit of money on the second pair, you have to do it and you have to do it wisely. 
You can't just be throwing money at Travis Sanheim because he's a draft pick of yours, you know, seven years ago, and you think he's going to hit his ceiling at age 28 or 29. That is not a good reason to do that. So if I'm the Flyers, I give him an arbitration here on Dan's birthday. Um, I give him like a one or two year deal and say, look, man, like you got to come out of the gates blazing if we're going to pay you. And if you don't, then who knows what's going to happen when your contract's up. And I would agree with the Flyers playing hardball there. I really would. I believe Manny went on Twitter the other day and you were talking about this, about him not being a rookie anymore. Like, he was drafted in 2014. You Aaron Eckblad, Sam Reinhart, Leon Dreisaitl, William Nylander, Dylan Larkin, David Pasternak. Are any of those guys considered prospects anymore? No! They're fucking <laughs> NHL players because they're 25 years old! You know? Santa, he's still, he's gonna get better, Dad. No, he's not! No, he's not. The theoretical threshold for defensemen is 300 games, and that's what they are. 255. He, he is what he is. You know, he's not going to get any better. He's not. Okay? He's a miserable piece of shit guy who's going to chip in eight or nine goals a year, fall down more times than that, and just be a dude. He's just a fucking dude. Not everybody becomes a star. This is a Ron Hextall dream scenario that we've been dealing with for all these fucking years. And again, going back to Connecty, he's going to be a 40 goal scorer. No, he's not. He's a 24 goal scorer. That's it. You know, you just have to admit that at this point in time, these people have seen enough time. They're not just going to magically get better one day. You know, they ju- it is what it is with Travis Sanheim. And I, I would agree. If you want to give him a two-year deal, fine. That way, at least you have a plan B for next season in case Cam York struggles a little bit, you know, and you want that guy in the third pair, but like, there's no fucking reason to give this guy, you know, anything more than that. Two years at 4 million, you know, just something like that. I would prefer even less than that three and a half, but I don't know if he's going to take it, but you know, I think the fact, the fact that the team took him to arbitration, I think is, is, is good for our point of view here. Cause it probably means they're thinking along the same lines. Of, listen, you don't have a lot of negotiating power here. He's probably asking a shit ton of me in the, uh, money in the Flyers. Like, no, we're not doing that to you. We're going to you know, pay you what you think that we have in our plans here. Because theoretically, he's the odd man out once Cam York shows up. You're going to find somebody, you know, a cheap plug for the third pair then and move on, you know? Because York is going to be that second guy. Provo's number one and is not going anywhere anytime soon. So... You, you have no leverage if you're Travis Sanheim. Plus, you fell down all year long. You have no, you're sucked. You just had a shitty season. You have no fucking business sitting there going, give me $5 million. Fuck off. Yeah. My ideal top four for this team over the next four, six, four, five, six, seven years is Provorov, Ellis, York, and Risto Linen. I just like that mix a lot. It's yeah. assuming Risto works out. I just think it's a really, really good good I like the idea of mix. York and Ristolainen yeah. a lot better than I like Sanheim and Ristolainen. Same. We just need uh, York to get some more experience yeah. to kind of cover up for some of Risto's bad decisions in his own defensive zone, which will happen, but I can absolutely live with because he does all the things that the other defensemen don't do. So that's where the balance comes in with him. And, and hopefully, just, fingers crossed, he does that. Yeah, I think, I think York is just such a, a cleaner player than Sanheim overall smoother guy and, and the hockey yeah. IQ is much better and can play yeah. like he's a guy I think that could easily make up for Risto Linen's mistakes versus Indeed. Sanheim 
pose just as big a fuck up as this <laughs> Salinen is, and on a bad night can be a complete disaster. Yeah. So I think and that's kind offer, of the thing. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't offer any of the positives that Ristolainen does. I no. mean, Sandheim is like a freaking like three year old crying in the corner. <laughs> he, he he loses puck battles, makes bad decisions, doesn't clear the crease, isn't physical. I mean, those are all the things that you want yeah. in your defensive zone, and he's not good at those things. So, you know, you can't have that. See, and just from what I saw of Cam York at the at the World Juniors, now it's at his own age level, but his skating and his poise just with the puck and without the puck, amazing. And if you translate that into the NHL, he's ahead of Travis Sanheim. I'm not saying he's ahead of him right now, but I'm saying In that very he short easily, order he will be. Right. Yeah. He projects very easily to pass him in terms of his skating ability and what he can, you know, breakouts and everything else. He just looks so confident, and yeah. that's the uh, that's the thing with the with the, with this whole arbitration thing is it's really interesting which way this is going to go. Is the arbitrator going to look at all these stupid moronic contracts that are being signed right now <laughs> and give this guy like five million, or is it going to be more of a you know Adam Dunn, not Adam Dunn, Vince what's Dunn. his name? Vince Dunn. Why did I say Adam Dunn? He's a baseball player. Isn't he? Adam Vince, so. whatever. Yeah, Vince, you know, Vince Dunn basically signed for, you know, four million bucks for, you know, two years. And honestly, I kind of think I put them all pretty close. I kind of like Vince Dunn. I kind of wanted the Flyers to get him. But uh, the other thing with this whole wrist alignment thing, and just to go back, you asked about Sanheim. His career high is 35 points. Fuck. And he hit 10 points, 25 points, and 15 points. Now, two of those years were the, you know, short seasons. Has he seasons. gotten double digits in goals yet? I don't think so. No, nine is his career high. <laughs> nine if, goals, this, 35 uh... points. That's it. Right. And, and like, you could sit there and bark about the analytics and all this stuff all you want. The fact of the matter is, is his career high is 35 points. And he hasn't really come close to that since. You look at Ristolainen, and as bad as his analytics are, and I believe it because his plus-minus is pretty atrocious. I'm not going to lie. But you look at his point totals. More than 35, he's got 41 points, 45 points, 41 points, 43 points. And then there was a year that he got 33 in the shortened season due to COVID. And yes, he's also at a career high nine goals as well. But the thing is, is that he's a power play guy. And I'd love to see that guy on the power play. I'd love to see that guy taking uh, Provorov's minutes on the power play or, or doing power play two with Ellis on power play one. Whatever the case may be, points wise, you can't really argue that Ristolainen has been more productive. And I know that people oh, yeah. are going to say, well, five on five, uh, Sanheim, blah, 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 blah regardless the puck goes in the net when that guy is playing like that's just a fact and yes his defense is bad because his plus minus shows that but regardless the puck's going in when he's firing the puck and as much as there's the analytics versus the eye test you can even sit there and go with the intangible stuff travis sanheim was at the world juniors in 2016 he got one assist in five games canada did not get a medal Rasmus Ristolainen's been at three world juniors and he has five goals, four assists in 18 games. That's so, fantastic. You know, and one was a gold medal winning, you know, game winning goal 
in the final to win the gold medal. So, I mean, there is that stuff too. And I just like the attitude of I'm here to be a pain in the ass. I want to play and that's it. And he has something to play for too. He's got a contract that's coming up. He's going to want to put his best foot forward. I, it's a, it's a risk, but it's a calculated risk. And the reason I say that is if, if people were upset that it took a second round pick and a seventh, God forbid the seventh, to get rid of Shane Gossespierre's 4.5, imagine that they walk away from Rasmus Ristolainen and say 5.4 next year. That was the asking rate, according to Chuck Fletcher. Teams were asking for Cam York or mm-hmm. a first-round pick. So you know what? You spent that first-round pick, and I know people are upset about the first-rounder for Rasmus Ristolainen. Flip it. Make it, uh, you know, Nolan Patrick and Phil Myers for Ristolainen. Do you do that deal? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And a first, a second, and Robert Haig for Ellis. Do you do that oh, yeah. deal? No. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. do both of those deals for sure. 110%. So if you're upset about the, the first round draft pick, just get over it. That Ellis trade was such a steal that, okay, you were going to eat a little bit of the lunch on uh, on that Risto, Risto deal. But as you know, guys like Anthony DeMarco have said, the competition was fierce for this guy. Teams wanted him. Yeah. And here's the thing about Risto lining too, that, really bugged me was you had some absolute nitwits that were comparing him to Andrew McDonald, which was just some of (laughs) the most stupid, stupid analogies I have ever heard when it comes to hockey on a number of levels. I mean, let's let this season speak for itself, but on its face, Rasmus Ristolainen is a workhorse. He's like Ivan Drago, right? He is a phenomenal skater. He is a, an excellent puck handler. He, he probably has the best shot on the team. I'd put him up against anybody. The only thing that this guy has that is, that could be an issue is he does not have the best hockey sense in his own defensive zone. However, that was drastically impacted by going through a carousel of coaches in Buffalo, the stain of Buffalo generally as a bad organization, horrible defensive partners, bad goaltending behind him, bad forwards in front of him generally. And look, this guy may not be the perfect analytic darling. He's not Victor Hedman. He's not going to be the best defenseman in the league. But if you go through all of the boxes that you want a defenseman to have, he checks so many of them that you have to take a chance on him, especially, as I've mentioned, he checks the boxes that the other defensemen don't check. So this season, watch. This guy's skating's fantastic. His shot, fantastic. His puck handling is excellent. He's six foot four, Ivan fucking Drago. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. That is not Andrew McDonald. If you go through all the deficiencies that McDonald has, and we've been through that a million times, he doesn't check a single one of those fucking boxes. Not one of them. So if you want to go through that comparison, if you just don't like him because you didn't like Andrew McDonald, so you don't like Rasmus Pistolina because of an analytic thing, fine. But to make that equation and to equate the two is just ridiculous i mean i can't even entertain that bullshit what about you guys i could do a whole nother hour just ranting about this this comparison to andrew mcdonald it's so like 
similar players. Like they're nothing the same. What I think this comparison is, it's it, you're comparing a guy like Ristolainen, who most fans are on the fence about, and it's the analytic people comparing him to the one guy that was overall hated while he was here. Analytic and I test people alike. So the people that are on the fence, they go, well, if he's Andrew McDonald, he must not be very good. You know, you're you're triggering that mental shit, you know. That, hey, we know who this guy is, and we didn't like Andrew McDonald, so we're going to hate this guy too. Like, they're nothing the same! He goes, well, they block shot. Yeah! A Who the fuck cares? Fucking Ristolainen, 6'5", and a badass! Did, did McDonald throw a single check dirt while he was here? Like... They may not be the best defensive players, but sweet Jesus, you know, they're, they're, what they're bringing to the table is not even remotely the same. It's just a fucking cop-out by the goddamn Italy, analytic people that don't understand the fucking sport they're watching. It's, I don't know. We, 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 we're already at an hour here. We're going to get through these questions, but uh, <laughs> fuck. I could rant about that forever. Oh, let's see here. Um, this person says, let's say that hypothetically the Flyers are nowhere near the playoff spot by the trade deadline. Which players would you expect to be traded? An easy one there is Sean Couture. You get a fucking King's Ransom for that guy, so you don't have to re-sign him. Maybe Giroux, but I don't know if anybody could afford his contract. And, uh, whoever the hell else is on a, uh, cheap deal. Yeah, the easy answer is just about everybody. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's true. Ra- Nobody's any- anybody off on an... Anybody is, that's on an expiring contract is fair game. So that means Ristolainen yeah, will be yeah. traded. That means Sean Couturier would be traded. They would ask Claude Giroux if, if you know, he needs to, you know, wants to be moved. That's up to him. He's got the no move. But, I mean, literally anybody that's on an expiring deal can go. Period. Yeah, that's an interesting question, Although we kind of alluded to this on a prior show, is that I, I don't think this team is going to be anywhere near that far back where they would even entertain that idea. I mean, they would have to be literally go on like a you know multiple ten game losing streaks to be able to even entertain trading anybody like that. Um, but if it did happen, yeah, I agree with you guys. They're going to look to guys that are on you know one or two years left on a deal that are still productive players. Um, and they liquidate that way. But um, I would be surprised if the team heads in that direction. Uh, I'm not we have a, you guys. I another one I just, coming up. I just read the next <laughs> yeah. question. And... For, the, for the listeners, <laughs> Mr. Esch has been just dying in, in tears here while, while Mike and I have been speaking about who's available at the trade deadline. <laughs> Something <laughs> is up. <laughs> this is the first time that uh, somebody's actually, I think, trolling us. Uh it's a two two part question. The first one: Why is Claude Giroux a career loser? And the second part is: Why did the fans bully Jake Voracek into requesting a trade? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. What the fuck is this? I wouldn't call Claude Giroux a career loser. I think that the Flyers have just been a a losing culture, and I think that Jake, rightfully so, was uh, railed out of town for uh, his role in, in the mediocrity of the last decade. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, to give this question at least some credence, and I'm not sure that the person wants us to do that, but if I were to do that, you know, why is Drew a career loser? Well, first of all, I would disagree with that. But 
if you do look at Drew's negatives, I mean, first of all, I do think that he was given the captaincy way early in his career. I don't personally think he was ready for it. And I think it actually maybe took away from his offensive abilities to some extent because it gave him this burden of having to be a leader, having to be a captain when I'm not sure he was the right guy at the right time for that. Um, secondly, uh, well, there isn't really a secondly. The guy's been extremely productive. He scored a shit ton of goals. He's had a lot of points. Um, you know, it's hard to really knock Giroux. The guy is known as a hard worker. He always competes. Um, I personally don't like the lead by example, non-vocal aspect of the way he leads and the way he's a captain, but that's not, you know, a major aspect that I would detract from him on given his productivity with the team. So I don't know. That's probably my best like objective, you know, argument to try to uh, get to that question. <laughs> and uh, the last text here, I think we've got a voicemail as well. Uh, please tell me the Flyers are not finished. We need a sniper, correct? Uh, 55 doesn't take stupid penalties. He will have a huge impact on the Flyers this season. I'm pretty sure they're done. Um, I know everybody is still raving about Tarasenko. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I, 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 I've spoken at length about my opinions on Tarasenko on here. He wouldn't be my favorite guy. You would need to do it. At this point, it would need to be JVR for Tarasenko. And if that happens... I wouldn't cry myself to sleep that night because I really dislike Van Riemsdyk. But I think that he's a guy that is respected in the locker room. And as we talked about earlier, they're building a culture. And I believe he was one of the last guys from this era that people like. Um, you know, he may be a shitty hockey player, but he's a really good dude. So my guess is they're not they're, – they're pretty much done. Maybe they have another, you know, depth guy if they've got a little bit after the – uh, Sanheim and, and Hart negotiations, they find somebody else, you know, for a depth center role kind of thing. But I, I'm pretty sure they're done making moves at this point. Um, anything happens uh, beyond this is internal. Maybe, uh, you know, Lazinski steps up or whoever, though. But uh, other than that, if, uh, 55 doesn't take stupid penalties, it'd be huge. 55, I believe that's the greatest defenseman of all time, Sam Moran, you're talking about. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, you're goddamn right he's going to have a big impact on the Flyers this year. Way to kiss some ass. <laughs> I mean, talking about stupid penalties, you know, we don't have Jake Voracek on the team anymore. And then Nack, uh, Nicholas Obkubel, I mean, he's been the guy, at least last season, that took a lot of those dumb penalties at the wrong time. So I, I, mean, I don't think that's a, that's a Sam Warren issue. I think that's a, that's a Nack issue right now that yeah. I would devote more attention to. Unless they were mentioning Ristolainen, was he 55 in Buffalo? He, he was 55 in Buffalo. Yeah. So maybe that's who they were referring to, and they just don't know what his number is. But um, either way, I, either yeah, way. I don't see that. I mean, he's he's going to be a Was lot a more limited. In, uh, I don't, I don't know. But as for the as for the the Tarasenko thing, I think that ship has sailed. Mm -hmm. I think Chuck yeah. uh, Chuck was sniffing around for sure. So I totally believe Ant San Filippo and, and Russ Joy and Snow the Goalie when they were saying that the Flyers were really in on him. And then St. Louis just wouldn't back down on the price for whatever reason. And Chuck got Cam Atkinson. And you know what? I think that's good enough. I know that a lot of people are disappointed with the, you know, the mix up front still, but the changes, I think overall, I think it's pretty integral that they they went to shelter and and surround ivan provrov and carter hart with people that can make them successful 
And really, after that, now that I, you know the ball is going to get thrown to AV and the coaching staff if things don't work out, <laughs> I just don't see. Uh, I I think they're done. I I don't think that there's anything else that happens. They've got to sign Carter Hart and Travis Sanheim, and maybe Travis Sanheim's mother is uh, his agent. So who knows? She'll <laughs> that that battle axe. Ristolainen sure would have been uh, fourth on the team in penalty minutes this season. He had a yeah, not, uh, 36 last year. He's fourth on the team behind Albuquerque, Lawton, and Moran, ironically enough. Yeah, yeah, I'm not too. I'm not that worried about his penalty minutes. It you doesn't know, given seem to be obscene. Research. 36 this year, 46 last year, 38, 48. So it's nothing, you know, too obscene over a full season. Yeah, and one thing about you know this team in terms of making another move is. Chuck Fletcher really did do a lot of turnover this year, and you don't want to do too much turnover. And now, granted, you know, we said that you want to really flip a lot of these guys and change the culture, but I think he's done that. I mean, I don't think that you need to do a whole lot more right now. You can't change the entire thing in one offseason. You can't flip, like, you know, half the roster. He's done about a third of it right now. And that's probably as much as you're going to do in one offseason. If you do anything more than that— The fact that he did it this much is rather impressive. Yeah, yeah, I'm out of agree. It's just if you do anything more than this, it creates like more of a transient type of attitude where players think, oh, well, you know, I'm going to be out of here in a year or two anyway. So, yeah, Yeah. I'm next. So who cares about, you know, making this a good situation? And it's a really difficult balance there. But I think right now where Chuck Fletcher's left it is a really good spot because he's turned over just enough where it's serious, but he's left just enough where people say, look, this is our team, this is an actual culture, this is an actual uh, um, hockey team that can make some noise in the playoffs, so let's all bond together and do it here, rather than just wait until we're traded somewhere else and do it there. That's where I think they're at, and I don't think that another move, unless it's like you know bringing in you know, some sort of fucking stud talent which you know there doesn't there's nobody out there aside from michael and tarasenko they would do but there's problems associated with those guys right now so i think that i'm pretty comfortable where they're at right now and i'm okay letting them play this out for this season given what he's done yeah i would have liked another move it forward you know just to get shake things up a little further but i i think you have a lot of interior options for that you know frost and lazinski and you know, Allison's getting a bigger role. So you have a lot of the young, younger guys you know, already in your system that are probably going to get, you know, chances, um, you know, this year to, to kind of do that. So you're, as much as we've seen it, you know, fail over the last few years, you know, kind of giving your, your guys a chance to step up from the inside. You know, it, it could have been a sexier move. You know, the fact that they really didn't address the 3C is still disappointing. Yeah. Um, which, you know, that, that's one of the things. If there's one black mark on Fletcher's offseason so far. It's the fact that he had just ignored the 3C again. You know, it's not like that's a position that's been biting the ass for five years now, you know. I guess you're going to hope that Frost can make it, you know, or or give it to Lawton or hope Lazinski can step up or let's blow a plate, <laughs> Nate Thompson. Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> but, Which he forgot all about, by the way, in the moves, but that's okay. <laughs> so, yeah. so that brings up a really good point, Dan. And I kind of wanted to run this by you guys before we conclude tonight, because I think this is a good way to kind of segue into the regular season here is like, I would probably give Fletcher somewhere between if I had to grade him, you know, a B plus a minus in that range. 
Um, that said, I do think there are some remaining issues that I want to get your opinion on. And the first thing that, you know, that came to mind when it was apparent that Chuck was done this offseason was I'm kind of concerned about offense from the center position. Um, you know, you've got guys like Couturier, Hayes, uh, Frost or Lawton down at 3C or 4C, Lazinski. I don't see any sort of dynamic offensive ability from the center position here. And I think that that could be a problem if this team has aspirations to go further than like a bubble playoff or first or second round, like you've got to have those guys that can step on the ice in the center position that can dominate, whether they're playmakers or snipers or what have you, you just have to have that. I mean, that's one, that's the first thing that I thought when I saw you know, this roster construction, where do you guys kind of stand on the center position as we go into the regular season, perhaps? I was so high on them getting Sam Reinhardt. Like, yeah. I think that would have been the guy that, you know, would have been a perfect fit to play two or three C, you know, let Kevin Hayes work his way back from, you know, core muscle surgery on his own time and don't overwork him. And you give yourself a fucking legitimate three C otherwise. And, it just feels like there was such a blown opportunity and the fact that they didn't address it anywhere else is just disappointing. You know, maybe you have some dynamic there in frost, but I mean, at this point, who the fuck knows? You know, I, I, I realize I'm not frost's biggest fan because I've watched him play live, you know, far more than a lot of people have, you know, that just sit there and watch highlight reels. But, you know, it's just disappointing to me in a third line role. Maybe he's still got it. Maybe in time he'll still be something. But it just feels like going into a year when you're theoretically looking to be a top team in the division and a playoff caliber team and you fucking sit there and have Morgan Frost or Carson, you know, uh, Tano Lezinski rather, uh, 3C, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Theoretically, this is a hole that, you know, come trade deadline, you can find a, your own Barclay Gaudreau or something like that, you know, or, or you know, that caliber of player and plug him in in that hole and it's fine you know it's not of super pressing need but in the meantime it's like man you're just we're really going to address this whole by committee again like haven't we done this enough lately where you could have been like all right let's at least find somebody to put in that hole a Derek Stefan or something you know somebody that had a little bit of credibility to their name to to put there but yeah I like I don't know. It's it's the clearly the biggest glaring hole right now of their lineup, and we'll obviously see what happens. You know, if if it's Frost or if it's you know whoever to come in and try and take that role and see how they work in time. But yeah, it, it's definitely the biggest black mark on the off season. And as far as Fletcher's grades go, I gave him a B plus in the the, the piece there for the off season. So, Manny, where are you on grades? I was going to, yeah, I was the same. I was going to say A minus or B plus. I think that the free agent stuff kind of lowered it for me by getting Nate Thompson and uh, Martin Jones. He did it just for you. I know. It took all the wind (laughs) out of the sails, but I thought a lot of the other moves were really excellent. And I know that you had to pay to get rid of Ghost, but it had to be done. Yeah. And, And I know people didn't like the Risto one. And you know what? I was at first not on board with it either, but I put out a poll on Twitter and I was like, listen, you got three C and backup goalie. If you had to address one of them concretely, which one do you do? And everybody overwhelmingly said you take the backup goalie uh, and fix that. And then you do whatever you jingle, jingle up some things around in the three C. I really think that the best option here. And I, at first I was like, no, that's not going to work. 
it is to move Claude Giroux back to center. Mm-hmm. It just yeah, is. We talked about They've that got the past, too yeah. many wingers, mm-hmm. especially on the yeah. left. Like, you don't want Oscar Lindblom on the third, fourth line, if you can help it. You don't want JVR. Like, JVR is your third line guy, right? You've got, you know, who else are you going to put up there? You want to give a guy like Allison a shot. You want to give other players a shot. It might not be ideal, but at least if you move Hayes down to the 3C, he's coming back from the core muscle surgery, so he's going to need a little bit of time. And hopefully you can get G in that line two role and put him with a Cam Atkinson and and see if he can set up Cam Atkinson for some goals. Like, I'm kind of interested to see that happen and see them play around that way. But... um, yeah, I don't know. That's where I'm at with the with the center position. It is it is an ongoing concern. It just it is, and they need to address it sooner rather than later. I believe yeah. Anthony and I talked about moving Giroud to center on on our last show, and at this point in his career, he just shouldn't be. If you want to put, I, I believe he was a he did play three C at least towards the end of last year. He found some good chemistry with Oscar Lindblom on his wing, and you know maybe that's where you go eventually. You know, fair be it. One left wing, JVR at two, Lindblom at three, you know, kind of see how that works out. But I don't know. I I just don't think Giroux at this point in his career should be handling that kind of workload. But I don't know if he should be playing, you know, 30 minutes a night on the top line left wing either. So, yeah, it'll, it'll depend on where he's at in his career. You know, if he can pull out another magical season like he did last year and, and you know, look like an ageless wonder, maybe you have a little more freedom with him in the lineup. But, you know, if he looks, you know, every bit of 34 years old, <laughs> maybe maybe you can talk about, you know, demoting him a little bit and giving him more, you know, specialized minutes on the, the, the third line. But, yeah, that, that may be your only legitimate option you have, and maybe that's what they're thinking is, is putting Giroux back at center and it's why they didn't address the hole. But either way, maybe a little bit more of a, you know, a solid answer to that that hole would have been better, even if Giroud is their you know intended idea. Just somebody to uh, some kind of safety net there, you know, in case you do have to put Giroud on the wing or somebody gets hurt and he has to go back to the wing or something like that. Just somebody to I don't know throw in the mix. Yeah. So one one last remaining issue that I wanted to put on the record because we're doing our off season analysis at this point is we've obviously been over offense from the center position. Goaltending, especially backup being an issue, third line center. But the one thing that could be an issue here, and I just wanted to get you guys' opinion on this, is the lack of size among the forward group. We've got guys like Giroux, Travis Konechny, Morgan Frost, Kim Atkinson, even Scott Lawton, who's not the biggest guy. That's one thing that I kind of worry about moving forward is we have so many players in that top nine that are like really small guys. And as much as five, eight, holy shit. Yeah. He's really small, man. He's as small as, as Travis Konechny. I mean, now obviously these players bring, you know, tremendous upside in various areas. You know, they've produced, they have very good track records generally, but I think collectively when you see a forward group that, that that is so undersized at so many different positions in the top nine too um that potentially could be an issue i don't think it's necessarily going to hinder them 100 percent. but i wanted to flag that during this offseason because i do think that there could be a chance when crunch time happens that 
possibly these guys can't keep up. I don't know. What say you guys on this? It- I think that's where I was going with the, the Goudreau thing, the Barclay Goudreau, is finding somebody of that size. I think that's more of a late-season slash playoff issue than it is right now. But, yeah, you're looking at uh, some of these numbers here. Atkinson is 5'8", uh, Konechny 5'10", Giroux 5'11", Abi Kubel 5'11". Uh, Konechny's not 5'10". Yeah, that's bullshit. I've seen him. Yeah, Farabee is <laughs> listed at six foot, though. I don't believe that either. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's It's... It's something that should definitely be addressed come the trade deadline if they're still in the running. Um, should be one of those bigger holes is finding a lot of those depth guys, you know, the, the, the people that help Tampa, you know, push them to the next level. Uh, a team full of fast, you know, undersized guys, you know, that you added that, that big, tough uh, group in there. In, 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 who the hell was the other one? Barclay Goudreau and... Uh, ah, fuck it, it doesn't matter. But Blake uh, Coleman? Blake Coleman, Coleman, that was his name. Yeah. You know, adding those big guys there helped him uh, come playoff time, which I think that's probably would not be addressed, hopefully. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, you just got to kind of hope. And this goes back to, you know, that I wish they changed, a, you know, extra piece or two out. It's just a little bit something different. But, you know, in the meantime, I wonder what Morgan Frost is listed at because I've seen – I've met him before, and uh, he was far he, smaller than I am, and I'm – He's 11. very small. I mean, these heights that we see on the Internet are wrong. It's I mean, I have – I mean, I've – I've seen all of these players in person except yeah. for Cam Atkinson, and they are very. I, I'm six foot tall. These guys are four, five, six inches taller or uh, smaller than I am. I'm talking about Giroux, Travis Konechny, Frost, and Lawton. Frost Lawton is, is listed at five eleven. I'm going to call bullshit. No I met him at the 2019 preseason for the Phantoms, and he was probably five nine. Like he was significantly shorter than I am, and I'm five eleven. So. I mean, GH is a strong drug that can, <laughs> that can do damage. But based upon what we've seen, these heights are inflated. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're... Uh, the, si- the size of the forwards, regular season, I don't think it's going to be an issue. I think it will be an issue in the postseason. A guy like Atkinson, he's 5'8", but he plays like he's 6'1". So yeah. you know what? He's going to draw penalties. He's going to be a busy bee over there forechecking and doing his thing. That's what the regular season is for, you know, calling penalties and all that, getting the power plays. This team's ready, ready for that. It's going to be when game one of the postseason starts. That's where I think, yeah, okay, if they run into the Islanders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Gonna need a, gonna need a little more uh, gotcha. physicality there. We well, do we flagged uh, it. First podcast to flag it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So when we look back in three months and they get, you know, stonewalled by the Islanders and be like, we told you. But um, we do have a phone call. May as well play this here before we call it a night. Let's see if I can figure out how to do this. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Live on air. Live on air. Hello, Manny, Mike, Dan. First question, Manny. Is Manny for Manuel? And can you make pizza? Second, Travis Stanheim. <laughs> I wish they would just trade him. You and me both. I think the Flyers offered him a one-year deal to come back. Him and his agent said no. He went looking for a long-term deal, and that's why the team filed for arbitration. I don't believe Travis Sanheim deserves a long-term deal. After seeing the Pellick contract, the Nurse contract, a couple other contracts, there's, I mean... How do you equate Travis Sanheim what, at all compared to these other defensemen? 
that are around his age. You just can't because he's never carried anyone. He hasn't. He's played in the top four, but he only had really one good season, and that was, I believe, two years ago. I, I just wish the Flyers. I don't see a match with him either with Ellis or Ristolainen as far as his game. He he came in. He was supposed to be this offensive defenseman, dynamite shot, one day run the power play, and he's none of that for us. Absolutely none of that. He, he's not going to run on. He's not going to be on a power play again, and. Sorry about that. And I just think the Flyers should trade him. Uh, and I'll finish with this. Great great show, guys. Uh, good job, Dan, on getting all this together. It was a good season, not a good year. I imagine it's all going to be starting up for you guys soon. Only 69 days till hockey. Regular season starts or they go to camp. 69! But see you then. Well, thank you for uh, the, the, the call, and thank you for the uh, well wishes. And uh, I think that echoed a lot of what we just ranted and raved about 40 minutes on. <laughs> Are we able to identify that uh, the great message from one of our listeners? Uh, I don't know if we can say his name over the air here or what. Yeah, Chris Mack. Yes. Our, okay. our longtime fan, Chris Mack. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for the message. Well, let's dissect it, guys. Uh, should we start with the pizza comment? <laughs> I always get called Italian and I'm not Italian. So I that that that's like a, a little like ugh, drives me a little bit crazy. I'm not one of the Paisans. I married a Paisan, a Paisana, ah, yeah. but uh I'm not one of the Paisans unfortunately. The the two Paisan limit is still in effect from the uh days of the anger negative show. So we only have one on the show tonight, so. Yeah, me Jim uh <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. I, my that's what we, we we talked about with the arbitration as well as why we think it happened. And my guess is Sanheim wants a shit ton of money. He's looking around this league, going, "Hey, everybody else is making nine and a half million dollars. I want some of that money too." Uh, probably you know nothing that obscene, but you know the Flyers are like, "There's no way." And as I they took him to arbitration, which I, again I think is the key of this whole thing is the fact that the team took him to arbitration. This was not Sanheim elected it. This was the team elected. So. Um, they probably hopefully see, you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel here as far as, you know, where he fits into the long term plans and how he is not developed into that, you know, top power play guy or any of this shit. Um, it, it's a good move by the team. And this was a, a, a good sign that they're not going to lock him up long term, that he's not in the future plans, you know, it, you're going to be cautious with somebody like him. And listen, if he comes around this year and he looks good and Ristolainen carries him, and I'm going to throw it at him just because I know it's going to piss somebody off, you know, then we can talk about it next year and expending it. But in the meantime, he's got, doesn't have, you know, any leg to stand on as far as asking for a legitimate contract at this point. Yeah. Based on this off season, I got the sense that Fletcher does see kind of the way that we see this. Uh, his moves were very largely ones that I would have done myself and ones that we kind of talked about on our, on our show. And I don't think he's going to give Travis Sanheim a long-term deal, I think. And even there's uh, certain parameters in arbitration where they can only give them uh, a max of like, it's like two years or something. One or, or two years, yeah. Yeah, there's some sort of cap on it. So, you know, if they're going to go that route, 
and they go through that process, he's going to max out at two years, which is fine. And then the team can either trade him in year two or not resign him, lose him for nothing and get that cap space to use on something else. I don't think that Chuck Fletcher sees Travis Sanheim as an expensive long-term second pair. Like we, like we mentioned on the show tonight, the Flyers have their first pair. They've got Ellis and Provorov locked in for at least four years, possibly more, who knows. But that's long enough where Travis Sanheim is not going to be getting paid, you know, one of those massive eight-year, $9.35 million contracts like Wierenski and Nurse and Jones. He's not in that ballpark, and I don't think Fletcher is going to give him anything like that. Like Dan mentioned, I think we're talking a small bridge deal um, I don't think he's part of this team's major long-term plans, unless he has some sort of crazy breakout yeah, next yeah. season or two where he's scoring, you know, 25 goals and 65 points or something. But I don't see that happening, you know, on this team. So I think, you know, Travis Stenham is a short-term solution to play with rest of line in and see what happens this year based upon performances, you know, maybe he gets another couple of years, but 